when you're ready. Let's start this game. watching and cool things happening with the Bay County Public Library and the Northwest Regional Library System. Hey, this is Sarah. And this is Lord Stephen. Yeah, I'm still Lord. I'm staying with it. How you doing, Sarah? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing all right. It's hot. <laughs> Welcome to summer. I, but it's not summer. I know. It's not summer. It's Florida. Welcome it, to Florida. I mean, when we're recording this, this is November. And it's like fall. <laughs> we're that delayed. <laughs> Nah, it's it's springtime. It is, yes. And we'll get into why it's springtime here in a little bit, but that's mm-hmm. a different story. This is true. So what do you want to talk? Uh, lit news. I, I believe that's how we do this. Clue to the first story. Butterfly in the sky. I can go twice as high. Just take a look. It's in a book. It's reading rainbow. So I am super tone deaf, but I'm totally sure that there's going to be a lot of record deals happening right there. At least one. <laughs> At least one. It's a skill. So, LeVar Burton, former host of Reading Rainbow, is starting a book club for adults, which includes many of us who grew up with Reading Rainbow 30 years ago. You're making me feel old, Sarah. I know. 30 years ago. And the LeVar Burton Book Club launches on Fable, a reading social media app for book clubs that I've never heard of before. I can't say that I've heard of it either. Some of them are free. However, his is a premium subscription. Um, visit fable.co-lavar to find out a little bit more about his book club. It's just launched, and if you still want to read along but not quite ready to join the book club since it is at a fee, the first book is James Baldwin's Go Tell It on the Mountain, then Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower, and then essay poetry collection, The Fire, this time edited by Jasmine Ward, and as a continuation of the conversation of James Baldwin's The Fire Next Time. So he started a book club. Yeah. He's got a guest host appearance on Jeopardy. I know. I think he's going to be the host because everyone signed and voted for him. Ratings are going to dictate this, Sarah. I know. And right now, Ken Jennings isn't the win. Really? Yeah, he's the most watched one. Oh. Least watched, I think, was Anderson Cooper. Oh, I like Anderson Cooper, too. Um, but I think LeVar Burton would be a phenomenal. But the reason why I say this, if he's on Jeopardy, mm-hmm. do you think he's got time to continue a book club? Yeah, he's mm-hmm. having fun. You think so? Okay. And if you're looking for something else that LeVar Burton does, he has his own podcast, called LeVar Burton Reads, and it's been happening for a little while now. There's lots of great short stories um, with notable authors, including Neil Gaiman, Octavia Butler, and N.K. Jemison. If you want to listen to LeVar Burton Reads, he will read to you in that beautiful, calming voice of his. And I have another story. Okay. Is this LeVar Burton related? No, but it's on the thread of 80s and 90s nostalgia. Did you know? that Pizza Hut has brought back its summer reading program, Camp Book It. Did you ever do Book It? No. No? I'm going to go on record here. Of the pizza chains, Pizza Hut, not in my top five. Oh, I loved the Book It program. Loved, loved, loved. Basically, you would just say, hey, I read a book. Give me a pizza. And they would give you this personal pan pizza. And it was like such a win. Yeah, If you're a big reader, I could see how that would help. 
I don't think I had to read a lot. I think I just had to say I read like a book. But that was back in yesteryear's time. Now you have a reading log. You have to complete it. Your parents have to okay it. And um, it runs from June through August. Free virtual camp for ages 4 to 12 years. So you get a book log and a voucher for one free, one topping, personal pan, pizza from Pizza Hut. Search. Book it for parents to enroll your kids today. Okay, so one topping. Mm-hmm. What's it going to be? It's just going to be straight up cheese. That's not even a topping. A cheese pizza. Y- you don't get vegetables or anything? Um, If I put vegetables on a cheese pizza, I could do an olive pizza or a mushroom pizza. When you say olives, this is a very important question here right now. Are you talking black or green? Black olives. <sighs> Wrong choice. Wrong choice. I don't know if I've had green olives on a pizza, but I'd be willing to try. Well, if you want to do that, Marcos has a green olive. We don't have a Donato's around here, but Donato's does it as well. But the saltiness of it is just wonderful. Kalamata, those are good. It's kind of similar. It took me a while to say yeah, because I was nodding, but the people in podcast land couldn't. (laughs) They might have heard the rattling. The brain just rolling around in there. (laughs) Do you like preservation? Of course. The Library of Congress uh-huh. has started a new blog Ooh. where they're going to be detailing, uh, it's called Guardians of Memory, Preserving the National Collection. And it's going to be done by their per- their preservation staff, and they'll be detailing how they keep the nation's library pristine. It's kind of cool. So it's preservation of the library building? Materials. Or, okay. Yeah. All the items. Yes. They're going to be showing them how they work at restoring some of these works and the care that goes into it. Cool. Yeah, I thought so too. Yeah, I love it. You're a big Jane Austen fan. There's a new book coming out. Well, it's a new rendition of a book. I may have heard of this since I'm a fan and all. Does it involve cooking? It does. Um, They are going to release a copy of Martha Lloyd's household book. They've released this thing once before, um, but this time it is a photocopied facsimile edition of this, so it's going to be handwritten with all the stains and such. Right now, from this book, you'll be able to learn that if you grate some cheese, add some egg to it, teaspoonful of mustard, and a little bit of water, you can eat cheese toasties, just like Jane Austen could. I think that sounds delicious because I like anything with melted cheese, like pizza and grilled cheese sandwiches. I don't know about the mustard part. What? That's great. It's kind and of um, reminded me a little bit of sounding like a Welsh rarebit, which I believe that has mustard in it as well. An egg. But you cook it. You blend it all together. It's like you won't even know it's there. To me, this is... Extra protein. Uh, it's not a grilled cheese so much. This is like a cheese cracker thing is what this it, is, right? It's like an open-faced sandwich. It's kind of like a Welsh rarebit because then you put the cheesy stuff on top. I don't know toast. about the egg. I barely survived French toast. That's a lot of egg. Oh, I can't do. I don't like French toast. Egg and me. We have an agreement. If I can't see you, I can't taste you. You're good. I, Cakes, you're good. Yeah, you won't be able to see it in this. Blends, it makes it like, it blends in. Okay. It'll be great. So make Jane Austen's toasties. Then I got one more story that I thought was kind of cool. You may be aware of this, but for the past year, we've been dealing with some kind of pandemic-y thing. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a vaccine, evidently. Mm-hmm. And in order to help nations that are a little bit poorer than us, 
there was a online auction going on in England that I thought was kind of cool. Okay. It's called The Books for Vaccine, and it had uh, Hilary Mantel and J.K. Rowling involved in this, and they were raising money, but it was kind of cool what they were auctioning off. You could have, uh, let's see here, a signed box set of the Wolf Hall Trilogy, which uh, is Hilary Mantel's book, and it was handwritten first sentences in there. You had the ability to have a character named after you in Sarah... Pinnerborough's novel, next one, she's the one that has uh, Behind Her Eyes. Or how about a chance to write a dedication in, in Jill Mansell's next novel? Oh. Or a signed first edition of a Robert Galbraith book, J.K. Rowling signing as Robert Galbraith. Wouldn't that be weird to have, like, multiple signatures? It really would. But it would be yours. It would. Very cool. Or they also had like 30-minute call with one of Penguin's editorial directors offering advice on getting published. Phoebe Morgan, uh, she's the person who launched this particular thing. She's offering herself uh, a 10,000-word editorial critique of novels. So it's like a whole bunch of stuff that that you could have bid for if you were wanting to be a novelist and getting some advice. Or Or a fan or something for everyone. It's kind of cool. Very cool. My last story is... Just a reminder that the pandemic has impacted students' overall reading skills. In general, we we try to prevent the reading slide every summer, but this year we will have to kind of prevent the reading slide and catch up to where we should be, uh, where students have fallen behind. This hits the most vulnerable students the most, which are those from minority and low-income households. And one of the leading ways to catch up is to read. So a reminder that with your free library card for all residents of Bake Off in Liberty County, you can check out up to 20 items at a time and encourage reading for fun. Reluctant Reader, try a graphic novel, or the Pizza Hut Book It program for some fun reading incentives. Get that pan pizza. You own stock in Pizza Hut, don't you? I... Had such fond memories. I had the button. It was purple. It had the book that was like coming open, and then you had little stickers. So each time you had a pizza, you would get a sticker on your button. That sounds really weird. <laughs> We're hungry, obviously. Really, you, you just go straight cheese. I'm 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 going back to this. Really, okay. just straight cheese. Yeah. Well, if I had to do multiple things, I would do all veggies and stuff. You're just straight veggie. Yeah. Um, we would normally get pe- pepperoni, and then I pick all the pepperonis off. My go-to is pepperoni, green pepper, and onion. That's a good combination. Now, if I can get the green olives, you again, depends on the place, then it's pepperoni and green olive and onion. Mm-hmm. Then it's just so much sodium. And then you feel bad. Well, I constantly season. feel bad. That's the joy of eating the way I want to eat. I feel horrible. <laughs> My youngest child, mm-hmm. he is not suffering from the reading slide. He takes AR tests multiple times a week for the advanced reader stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's to the point where he's run out of books at the school. And he's demanded his teacher to bring him some new stuff. And we're not talking about just like, you know, regular reedy reedy stuff. No, he's like, I want to know about weather and history. Bring on, bring on your nonfiction books. Aww, I think we might have a future librarian. Uh, no, he's, he has told me already at 18, Dad, I can't wait. I'm joining Space Force. Okay. 
So the plan's been made. That's the plan's it. been made. He is going out to kick alien butt because <laughs> he is convinced that's what they're going to do at this age. But that's his plan, and I love him to death. Oh, that's really <laughs> that's really cute. That's why he needs to know all about that weather and yeah. the nonfiction. I mean, you never know when throughout history. Aliens. Aliens. <laughs> I mean, if History Channel's taught me anything, it's that aliens did everything. You remember when History Channel was actually history? I mean, well, it was all World War II, but do you remember yeah. when History Channel was actual history? Uh-huh. And not pseudo-history? <sighs> Reminiscing. <laughs> Should we ready for um, our next segment, Spring Fever? We were. I mean, it is spring. It's hot. feels like summer, but it is spring. And Spring Fever is here. What does that mean? What does spring fever mean? Well, let's break it down for you. We okay. are going to talk about medical fiction and nonfiction. Oh, so we're focusing on this fever. The fever part of spring fever. You know what they say. What? I got a fever, and the only prescription is more reading. I'm just like you. I put it you know, on my pants, one leg at a time, and then I make gold records. <laughs> uh, that's such a great sketch, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. So spring fever. What does Robin Cook, Tess Garrison, Khalid Hosseini, and Michael Crichton have in common? Um, I'm going to tie this back in to Jeopardy, mm-hmm. but I'm also going to tie this into the 80s mm-hmm. with uh, one Cliff Claiborne from uh, Cheers, who are people who have never been in my kitchen. I love Cheers. <laughs> And while technically correct, I don't think that's the answer you're looking for. It is not the answer I was looking for. They are all physicians, at least at one time, who write fiction. Or Michael Crichton, he got his medical degree from Harvard, but he never used it. So I don't know. He could be a doctor. He is officially a doctor. He's officially a doctor. he He decided during that time he would rather write than practice. Yeah, he was like writing a ton of like pulp fiction. In the 70s, 60s, 70s. Sounds about right. Under a different name. Under a different name. So pseudonym um, John Lang. And his first uh, novel under his own name, speaking of aliens, is the Andromeda Strain, uh, about extraterrestrial, deadly, and infectious microbes called Andromeda that mutate rapidly. Question mark? I actually haven't read it. Oh, you, you need to, Sarah. It is it is on my list here as well. They send out space satellites to collect some data. Uh-huh. They, one comes back unexpected, crash lands in the desert of New Mexico or Arizona, I forget which. And uh, a couple miles away, entire town ends up dead. And so, you know, they've got to figure out why. It is things that people might not know about Michael Crichton. Mm-hmm. He is a, a writer. Mm-hmm. He's a doctor. He's very sciencey. He's a director. This is true. That I didn't know that. Yes. So he has given us a couple different movies here. Um, Westworld, Coma, which is going to tie into a book I'm, I'm going to bring okay. up here. And um, Runaway. Okay. Runaway is the best one of those. Uh, what is it about? <laughs> do you want the real answer or do you, or do you, or do you want the, the, the cheese ball answer? Cheese ball. Magnum T.I. is a cop in the future, and he's on the side-crime force. So Gene Simmons gets himself a DNA rocket gun and some mm-hmm. acid spiders, and what? he's hunting down people. <laughs> okay. So Tom Selleck, Gene Simmons. That's a weird combination. It, it was a horrible, great movie. Okay. Gene Simmons without the makeup. I know. Would I know what he looks like? Yes, you would recognize him. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, haven't you seen Kiss without their makeup? They were huge in the 90s. I'll God gave do. rock and roll to you. But uh, he directed movies. Uh-huh. And those, a lot of those movies, Coma and Westworld, I was having a discussion with a, a movie friend of mine. And we, I politely called it very deliberate pacing because mm-hmm. it's very slow. He he used some other words. Andromeda Strain, the book and the movie, kind of like that. Okay. He's getting his groove because that is, was one of is. his first I novels. Mean, yes. So Michael Crichton, Andromeda Strain, that also made my list. Um, if you I... um, also, I mean, Michael Crichton's entire portfolio is, a, is kind of based in medical. I mean, Jurassic Park is DNA extraction. Mm-hmm. Micro is all about microscopic stuff. Case of need. You know, he's he's he definitely leveraged the the medical background heavily in his books, which makes sense, and it's it's to his benefit. Um, why I was going to bring him up was because of Robin Cook. Yes. One of his first movies was directing Robin Cook's movie Coma, which is a creepy book slash movie as well. They called it Minor Surgery, but Nancy Greenlee. Sean Berman, and a dozen others, all admitted to Boston Memorial Hospital for routine procedures, were victims of the same inexplicable, hideous tragedy on the operating table. They never woke up. Ah. Yes. And so he turned that into a movie. Okay. Was it... Was it... I mean, it's scary in its own way for... I mean, without spoiling it, but yeah. Okay. So the first author I think of when I think of medical fiction is E.R. Doctor and author Kimory Martin. Her last title was The Antidote for Everything and is focused on two friends, Georgia and Jonah. Jonah, who is a gay man, loses his job after refusing to give up providing equal access medical care to his transgender patients. And it kind of has like a Grey's Anatomy feel to it. Uh, There's action, there's the hospital, but there's still the relationships and the friendships. Um, So it's, it's a fun read. And um, Kimberly Martin's upcoming title, which will be available November 9th, is called Doctors and Friends about a group of women who have been close friends since medical school and they're facing a global pandemic. And it was written pre-COVID, which is pretty wild. It's weird how some of these books are coming back and coming around, coming true in a way, isn't it? Mm-hmm. There's a couple of them out there. I have a few others that kind of trickle into that. I'm still talking pairs. Okay. You know Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child? Mm-hmm. Well, Douglas Preston has a brother. Richard Preston. I don't think I know Richard. He is a PhD in English. Doctor, okay. but, you know, different kind of doctor. Yeah. And uh, he came to the forefront of writing when he wrote a book called Hot Zone. Mm, yes. About a highly infectious, deadly virus from Central African rainforest suddenly appear in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. There's no cure. And in a few days, 90% of, 90% of its victims are dead. It's basically, it tells a story about Ebola coming on into mm-hmm. America kind of stuff. True story. Medical nonfiction thriller is what they kind of classify him. Mm-hmm. But he also does a, uh, a book called The Cobra Event, which is a more novelization. And that one is uh, set in uh, New York City, spring... When a 17-year-old student wakes up feeling vaguely ill, hours later she is having violent seizures, blood is pouring out of her nose, and she's begun a hideous process of self-cannibalization. Ew. I assume other gruesome deaths of similar nature are discovered. The CDC sends a forensic pathologist in to avail- investigate, and suddenly crisis ensues. 
Okay, so this is fiction. This one's fiction. I really don't want that one to happen. <laughs> so he focuses, he do, he goes back and forth between nonfiction and some fiction stuff. Yeah, he he mm-hmm. talked, uh, he's got a book about smallpox, uh, mm-hmm. devil in freezer or something. I forget what it is, and I probably shouldn't mention it if I don't remember the name. Or, but he does a lot of nonfiction medical stuff. So Richard Preston is another one that we should check out if you're really digging these medical studies. Cool. Young adult author and physician Dr. Lydia Kang has several titles in our collection, including Control, which is set in 2150, where genetic manipulation has been banned. And then there's a teen, Zelia, and she must rescue her sister with the help of other outcast teens who have also, they have the mutated genes, so that's why they're outlaws. That sounds interesting. And she has her adult nonfiction title, Quackery, A Brief History of the Worst Ways to Cure Everything, which sounds really fun, and I just downloaded it on the Libby app. I didn't read it, but I looked through it, and it it's fun just seeing the various things that we've dabbled with. Don't that, do this at home. Yeah, I mean, mercury is a... Oh, my gosh. Quicksilver. It's kind of dangerous. <laughs> it is, but hey. Yeah, medicine. they they used some weird things. I'm sure arsenic wasn't a lot. 100%. Cigarettes. Doctor approved. Mm. It's crazy, isn't it? It is crazy. Well, it's called, like I said, it's called practice for a reason. (laughs) Don't do that. Two more nonfiction for me. The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks by Rebecca Sklut. Henrietta Lacks is a poor southern tobacco farmer. She was buried in an unmarked grave 60 years ago. Yet her cells, taken without her knowledge, grown in culture, and brought about and sold by billions become one of the most important tools in medical research. Um, Rebecca Sklut takes us on an extraordinary journey through the colored wards of John Hopkins Hospital in the 50s to East Baltimore today, where her family struggles with the legacy. So basically, this this lady had a, um, cervical cancer mm-hmm. and went to John Hopkins because in the 50s, that was one of the leading hospitals that it's, wasn't okay. segregated. Mm. And in the routine process, they take cell samples. And one of the doctors kept them. And normally when cells are taken, they die. Mm-hmm. But hers reproduced every 20 to 24 hours. Wow. So it was used as a, a way to test cancer treatments without actually using them on humans to see how the cells react, polio, a whole bunch of other stuff. But they never told her. So it questions the medical ethics of how doctors treated patients. And it's an ongoing legacy. It's an interesting read. Okay. Uh, the other one I want to talk about is Ghost Map. Uh, okay. It's the story of London's most terrifying epidemic and how it changed science, cities, and the modern world by Stephen Johnson. Um, it is a, an account of a cholera outbreak in London, Victorian London, and the exploration of how Dr. John Snow, who evidently did know something, revolutionized how the world thinks about disease, cities, science, and the modern world. Okay. So, two nonfictions that gives us an idea of how medicine progressed. That's interesting. That sounds very interesting. The other titles that I have, I wanted to recommend Still Alice by Lisa Genova. Have you read that one yet? I have not. It was a phenomenal read of trying to understand early onset Alzheimer's disease. The author is a legit PhD neuroscientist. And so, all of her books kind of deal with elements of neuroscience and this one, um, Still Alice, follows, follows Alice Howland, who is a Harvard professor and linguistics expert whose memory starts to fail her. 
and kind of her experience as well as her family. And this is not her only medical-focused title. Her latest 2018 title, Every Note Played, focuses on ALS, and her other titles also go into other neurological diseases, each one kind of playing with her her background in neuroscience. Um, I want to talk about Ken Kesey's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm Mm-hmm which is, you know, basically the story of um, a gentleman who is wild and rambunctious is admitted into a hospital in Oregon where it's ruled by a tyrannical nurse ratchet. She keeps everybody in line through strict, unbending routine, unopposed, and regularly mind-numbing medication. And with the threat of electroshock therapy lingering, she rules with her iron fist. And what does she do when suddenly that rule is challenged by somebody who's not there. Mm-hmm. Big counterculture book. Mm-hmm. Talked a lot about the authoritarian nature of mental hospitals and et cetera. This is part of during, uh, kind of led into the uh, deinstitutionalization movement, which was pioneered basically by a report that was done by a Stanford psychologist where he sent seven patients into hospitals to pretend that they were insane and see how long it took them to get they couldn't leave until they were diagnosed sane Mm. on average it took them 19 days they said well there's a book out called the great pretender the undercover mission that changed our understanding of madness by Susanna callahan and uh, it's her attempt to understand she had another book as my brain uh, brain on fire oh yeah yeah i remember when that one came out it was very well received So in an attempt to better understand the idea of madness in the 1970s, a Stanford psychologist and seven other colleagues went undercover in insane asylums across the country. When they were released, they had unsettling accounts of their diagnosis and treatment that became a report that broke open the field of psychiatry, closing down institutions, changing mental health diagnoses forever. Well, Callahan has now done some research that shows that very little of this saga is actually what it seemed. Mm. And what really happened behind those closed asylum doors and what it meant for our mental illness today might have been nothing like what we expect. Hmm. We have this one in an audio book. Okay. So I would definitely encourage it. Well, there's some good doctors out there, too. um, Frankenstein? (laughs) Dr. Acula? What? He's he's heavily into withdrawing blood. I know that. (laughs) There are a few titles set in the 1918 influenza pandemic, which I wanted to highlight. So Emma Donahue's The Pool of the Stars is set in a maternity ward in Dublin. It looks really good. And another one I want to read is Susan Meisner's As Bright as Heaven, which is set in Philadelphia during 1918 and focuses on one family story during the 1918 pandemic. I have one other. Okay. And as I was talking about the various horrible doctors throughout history. I mentioned a particular doctor, Dr. Acula. Mm-hmm. And uh, vampires, you know, normally we don't think about doctors and medicals, but how about Vivian Shaw's series? It is the Dr. Greta Helsing series. Uh, the first one is Strange Practice. And Dr. Greta Helsing has inherited the family's highly specialized and highly peculiar medical practice. Uh, she treats the undead for a host of ills, vocal strain in banshees, um, arthritis and barrel whites, entropy and mummies. It's a quiet, supernatural adjacent life until a sect of murderous monks emerge, killing humans and undead Londoners alike. As terror takes hold of the city, Greta must use her unusual skills to stop the cult if she hopes to save her practice and her life. 
even when we're talking about medical stuff, we can get out there into the wild, be it Andromeda strain with a fictitious thought about space germs. (laughs) Space germs. So my last title is a slight tangent on the medical fiction, but Patricia Cornwell worked in the office of the Chief Medical Examiner's Office in Richmond, Virginia. So her medical examiner, um, fictional character, Kay Scarpetta, is um, their fun reads and their forensic thrillers, which she's still writing. The latest is going to be number 25, released this November, called Autopsy. Do you like uh, forensic stuff? I do. I was kind of, I was going to, like, mention Kathy Reichs and the whole, like, forensic anthropology thing, Mm because I love the series Bones. Stiff was a a fun read. I know. I want to read that by Mary Roach. Yes. Totally on my list. I need to read it. What, what, what you been watching? What you been reading? Is that where we're at? Drum roll, please. So, I finally listened to The Giver of Stars by Jojo Moyes. Finally. Okay, so, I have to be honest, I was skeptical. Only because the plotline to her title, Me Before You, I felt was a little problematic and incredibly ableist. So, I was kind of avoiding reading The Giver of Stars. Total brutal honesty right there. However... The Giver of Stars was amazing. I loved it. Did not want it to end. It's a beautiful book that's set in the 1930s featuring five brave and brilliant Kentucky pack horse librarians as part of Eleanor Roosevelt's Work Progress Administration. And one of the librarians, like Jojo Moyes, is British and her name is Alice. She finds home in the Appalachian Mountains despite poor relationship with her new husband. So note that I really enjoyed The Book Woman of Troublesome Creek by Kim Michelle Richardson. And it was a little bit of scandal because they were like released within five months of each other. And then one kind of had a few little things that were in the other one. However, I think they're totally different in feel. So you have room for both Packhorse Library and titles in your heart. I just know it. Both of them I listened to as audiobooks, and The Giver of Stars, fantastic audiobook. She did the accents really well. So the book series I'm reading right now is The Rivers of London is the name of the series. It's by Ben Aronovich, and it is the tale of Peter Grant. He's a police constable in London who deals with cases that involve ghosts, vampires, etc., he cool. turns. He is a apprentice magician underneath the last surviving magician appointed in the Metropolitan Police of London, and hilarity ensues. The first book of the Rivers of London is Midnight Riot. It deals with Peter Grant realizing his, because he's a rookie police officer, he's getting pushed out into the, the larger world, and how he thinks he's going to go be assigned to a, a file clerk position, which is the absolute opposite of everything he wants, and ends up on hunting down a ghost. You know, yeah. normal. Exactly, and it's fun. It's Tuesday. And it was good enough that it made me go right into Moon Over Soho, which is about some jazz musicians being killed in the clubs of, of London. And then, and then after that one was done, I slipped right into Whispers Underground, which I've just started. Okay. But uh, that one's about uh, an American artist getting killed in the tubes of London. But the guy who reads these books, because like I said, I'm listening to him on audiobooks. Mm-hmm. He, it's it's got such British language and all these things. There's there's some th- words that I'm like, whoa, I can't believe you said that. But then I realize, oh, that word means something else in England. I'm enjoying it so far. Very cool. Well, obviously, since that's book number three. Yeah, book number three. I think there's like seven or eight. 
Another phenomenal audiobook that I just finished was The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by Grady Hendrix. It's kind of a strange merge of genres. You've got Southern literature, and it's comedic, but then there's horror. And it, I've kind of started a mini book club with, you know, my friends and family, and we're all uh, listening to the audiobook at the same time, which, unfortunately, with audiobook and horror, you can't really easily just skim some of the really scary parts. You just got to buckle down and yeah, <laughs> listen to it. That's kind of important in that book. But it's so good. And then the horror is not like super long lasting. So you can, but it's so good. It's very creepy crawly. Um, and his study on vampires is very interesting. And it's set in the 90s um, where the new neighbor who is handsome and he might be a vampire and children start going missing. And the Southern Book Club loves true crime. However, throughout, like the main uh lead character patricia you're just like no patricia no what are you doing patricia don't do that <laughs> and doesn't. i know you've read that one too <laughs> yeah. it's weird we we both read that book i wonder why <laughs> um hmm. grady hendrix is on it's on my book list as well i mean southern book club guide to vampire slating is on there but i also did horror store oh i haven't read that one yet that Tell one me I more. Read, the the audiobook has uh is good it also has the, the made me aware that um, Bronson Pinchow from Perfect Strangers fame has become a very prolific audiobook reader. So Balky. Balky, which is kind of weird. <laughs> no, was, if you've watched the show, you know. He was the best. But uh, the I recommend that one in print form. Really? Yeah, Rather I mean, than audio. Because there's some graphics in there. Because it's the, the, the premise of horror story is essentially... Ikea, right? Ikea uh, Orsk is what they, <laughs> what they call it. Because, you know, legal reasons, I'm sure. <laughs> but Orsk is a modular furniture store that has a never-ending loop that you kind of go through. And it may or may not be haunted. Mm -hmm. And the book is set up kind of like... Uh, the, the chapter headers are Ikea catalog-based, catalog so you see furniture designed, and as you get further in, the furniture takes a twist. So you want to be able to see all of that. Yes. It would yes. totally be changed. It does. It okay. does. I mean, they describe it in the audiobook, but... Not the same. You don't get the, you don't get the visual. It's really interesting how some books are just better as books, and then some are equally good in both formats. Um, I read What If, and I forget the gentleman's name. Randall Monroe? Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, he, it's a book of, you know, just questions of what if this happened? What if the earth stopped spinning? You mm -hmm. know, and if you read the book, cartoons and stuff throughout it, because he's an artist, XYZ. Yeah. Listening to the book, it was read by Will Wheaton. Okay. <laughs> so. From Star Trek fame? Yes. Different books can be effective in audio versus reality. And I didn't actually pick up the, 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 the print version of what if, but people told me it's great. Okay. With the, the cartoons, and it probably had something to it, but I was satisfied with the audiobook. Oh, excellent. Either way. We were talking about Grady Hendrix and, and Southern Book Club Guide to Vampires and Horror Store. He also does a, uh, My Best Friend's Exorcism, mm -hmm. which is kind of like a prequel in a way, too. I mean, it's not a direct prequel. You don't need no. to read one to, to read Southern Book Club, but it, it two sides of a coin. Yes, he mentions it right in the beginning of the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires that the parents were awful in My Best Friend's Exorcism, so he wanted to kind of have a book from the parents' point of view, but it was set in the same town, but just a little bit later. And all of this stuff, well, I don't know about Horror Store, but uh, Best Friend's Exorcism and Southern Book Club will both be coming to a screen near you in some fashion or form, be it Amazon series or movie. They're all filming right now, I think. That's pretty awesome. It is. 
He does Ooh. a nonfiction book that I'm really in. I want to check out right now. Mm-hmm. We don't have it in our collection, oh. but I have found it somewhere on audiobook because you know I have my my nefarious ways. It's all legal. It's all legal. I might have I might have a Hoopla subscription through a different library card I have. Okay, yeah, I know you. You. Um, I collect them. You collect library cards. <laughs> if, I, if I can, if I can get a library system to give me a card, I will get get a card. There's nothing wrong with that. But they have it in audiobook version. But we, one of our reference librarians, Rachel, had previously gotten it through Interlibrary Loan, and she oh. suggested that I should read it paper form because it's got some nice visuals and stuff Very to it. But cool. I just I'm desperate to see it. So I, yeah, I, I, we'll see. Very cool. But uh, did I tell you what it was? Paperbacks from Hell. Paperbacks yes. from Hell, which is a his exploration of the 70s pulp horror books. He won an award for that, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He did. And we've started, it caused a publishing company to start re-releasing some of these books. Because people wanted to read them? And so we've got a handful of them in our, our oh, collection now. A book I read recently is Goring's Man in Paris, the story of a Nazi art plunderer and his world by Jonathan Petropoulos. I didn't get through all of it because it's kind of heavy and it is a little bit more academic, but it's still fascinating by Bruno Laus and the art trade for Hermann Goring in World War II. And many of the artworks were taken from Jewish gallery owners in Paris and um, they were stolen. And... Basically, my favorite heroine that is mentioned in this title is a monument man or woman. Her name was uh, Rose Valland, and she worked directly with Bruno Laus um, when he took over the uh, Jus de Palme art gallery that um, in Paris. So she was the only original employee that worked for the gallery, and she was there to kind of take care of the permanent collection while... Bruno Laus was basically confiscating art and using that as kind of like a place to store the stolen art before it got shipped away. And um, no one knew that she knew German and French. Uh, So she uh, was able to listen in on all that they were saying and because she worked with a bunch of Nazis. And so she would absorb the artwork, where it was going, where um, who the original owners were, And at night, she would write everything down really detailed so that after the war was over, a lot of the pieces got uh, rescued. Awesome. So, go Rose Valland. And Bruno Laus's character is very crazy. It is interesting to to read about, and um, it is, while a title about a denazified Nazi, it's pretty fascinating. The loot was found in his bank vault after his death of stolen art. It was never recovered, and it, then after that, it would get to the right place. You watching anything? I got a couple things I'm going to recommend as far as watchers. Okay, go for it. Netflix right now has a new animated thing that uh, my, ch- my youngest has watched, I think, now seven times. What is it called? Uh, Mitchell's versus the Machines. I loved it. Yes. It was so good. <laughs> yes. It was it was much better than I was expecting it because normally you know with kids you know how it is it's, it's the things mix. they get obsessed over. But this one, adults can enjoy just as much. The robots are great. The, all the characters are fantastic, and it's by the same creators as uh, Spider Verse, right? I the Miles so. Morales story. I so. Yes. But yeah, Mitchell's versus the machines. It was very so fun. good. Was fun. Um, the other thing I was watching, it's a old. I pulled this off of YouTube, so it's available on 
for free if you want to mm-hmm. check it out. It's a evidently I'm we're English heavy today, but it's a old three part documentary from from England. Matt Geddes, I believe, is how you say his name. Is he hosted a series called A History of Horror, and it's essentially a three part series detailing. You know, early horror movies, British horror, a lot of Hammer. It focused heavily on Hammer stuff, which is which fun. But it was just going through, you know, why certain things happened, how certain things happened, rise and falls of people. It was it was good. Three parts. Recommend it. Excellent. And if you want an American version, uh, Eli Roth does an American version that's more current because the the a history of horror by Matt Geddes is from like 2010. Eli Roth has history of horror. Notice the lack of an A, um, and he does that via. A series on AMC slash Shutter slash somewhere else, as well as a podcast, and it's good. If you like learning about horror, I don't know why I focus on horror so much. No, I don't know. It's like you like it or something. I, I might. I, I might. <laughs> Just a little. Which reminded me that I like British people, and I watched because I don't usually watch cable, but the library has a copy of Miss Scarlet and the Duke, which is a six episode. It was PBS. And um, is set in Victorian England, and her father was a detective, and so she wants to be a detective. And then the Duke is really like part of the Scotland Yard, and he's like annoyed with her, but they team up a lot to help kind of solve murders. It's a lot of fun. I highly recommend Library. Check out. Well, I have one more title. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you about the another nonfiction title that I read, um, Broken in the Best Possible Way by Jenny Lawson. Have you read Jenny Lawson? I have not read any Jenny Lawson. What is What else has she written? Well, I've enjoyed all of her memoirs, and this is her Amazon bio, just to get, you know, like a glimpse of Jenny. Jenny Lawson is a very strange girl who has friends in spite of herself. She is perpetually one cat away from being a crazy cat lady. So back to my introduction. She um, dresses very bad taxidermy animals into costumes. I This is Furiously Happy. Yeah. Okay, I, I haven't read the book, but I have seen the, the cover of the... That's one of... Yeah, the raccoon is a real taxidermy raccoon. And there's another one with a, a, a mouse. A mouse. That one is... Let's pretend this never happened. And that was her first one. I would recommend starting with that one. It is probably a nice, easy introduction to Jenny Lawson. And it talks all about the taxidermy to animals and her life story, her childhood. Hilarious. So much fun. I'm going to interrupt. Okay. Does she actually taxidermy stuff? No, I think her dad does, though. Okay. But she buys really bad. She, like, looks for it. And then she makes it costumes for it, like... um ron weasley and ermione granger so it's like a pair of an ermine and a weasel and they're dressed up in harry potter costumes that's just one of the many gems that that definitely sounds like a gem they're all puns it's fantastic and now she has a bookstore it's called the nowhere bookshop in san antonio texas and i really want to go it started during the pandemic so she was doing a lot of orders but broken is probably the third you probably should read them in order i think because um furiously happy with the raccoon on the cover it's a great one to introduce her living with depression and ocd and anxiety but still being furiously happy but broken it's a little heavier of a title, so I would read that afterwards. But it's still amazing, 
and she feels like a genuine friend. She's also the bloggist, so she has a blog online, and you can read some of her writing and see if you like it. So what's going on in this library, Sarah? We are working away to bring you a fantastic summer 2021 Tales and Tales reading program. That's T-A-I-L-S and T-A-L-E-S, which is very hard in audio form. So this is animal themed. All the animals. We're so many animals. I love animals. It's going to be a lot of fun. And it's about their tails. Some tails. We have some animal tails. We are picking animals specifically that have tails. Stories with animals with tails. Tails Mm -hmm. within tails. Tales and Tales. It's throughout the month of June and July, and the Northwest Regional Library System is still virtual at this time, but more of the library branches are including passive programming, such as craft kits or prize entry giveaways. And some of the fun summer highlights, family movie night bundles at the Bay County Public Library. What exactly is a family movie night bundle? It will begin June 7th while supplies last and is sponsored by the Bay County Public Library Foundation. So think blind date with a book, but with two library DVDs, which you do have to return those like normal. But with that is microwave popcorn and candy. Which go-to movie candy? I'm a milk dud person. I like Sour Patch Kids. (laughs) I secretly like really gross gummy candy. I like gummy candy, but right now I'm I'm, I'm super (laughs) obsessed with, with chocolate caramel. Okay, well, it's a good combination. It's like a, a like classic. And the general theme will be on the bag with the, the rating, so like G, PG, or PG-13. And you would be able to check one out per library card or family. And the Panama City Beach Public Library is also doing a Tales and Tales movie bundle geared for kids. So theirs are just going to be like rated G or PG. And it's going to be the first 25 total starting on the June 21st while supplies last. And it's sponsored by the Panama City Beach Library Foundation. It's also got two DVDs, popcorn, and they've got theater-sized candy. You return the DVDs like normal. You get to keep all the candy. And it's like a movie night in a bag. And everything's animal-themed. I'm laughing because you you got to return the DVDs but not the candy. I'm just curious of the person who returns that candy. There's one other program I wanted to feature. Are you ready? I am. Most library locations will be doing a pet food drive. At Gulf County, it is June and July for the St. Joseph Bay Humane Society and Gulf County United. Bay County is throughout July for the Salty Cats of St. Andrew's Rescue and other rescues, so dogs and cats, all the pet food, Um, as well as kitty litter or, you know, other things that are very helpful. Leashes. hmm? Leashes. Leashes. I guess we could accept leashes. Oh, Cat toys and dog toys. That's a lot of fun. Non-used. Non-used. Everything needs to be brand spanking new. No gross used animal stuff because that's just gross. And the Harrell Memorial Public Library in Bristol, they're going to throughout June and July are accepting items for partners for pets. For exact dates, visit the library Facebook pages or our website at www.nwrls.com. And you can bring all these things in. Uh, If you're coming into the main library... You're going to hook a left right when you come in like you're going to the restrooms. And there's a box right there by the uh, community event board. Drop it in there. Yep, that'll be it. And we appreciate it. It'll go to Animals in Need. Uh, The last program I want to feature is virtual programs have animal-themed origami, how to make cat and dog treats, bird watching with Audubon, 
DIY animals and tangles and how to create your very own cardboard cat castle. And Zoom programs include archaeology with the Florida Public Archaeology Network, book clubs that require registration, and other fun Zoom programs. I'm very excited. Check it out on our website. And for all the programming information, Zoom registration links are going to be at www.nwrls.com. So we've moved further along this pandemic. Housekeeping work, yes. <laughs> uh, we, uh, we are no longer doing quarantine. We've expanded some of the amenities of the library. Our services are expanding. Yes. Uh, we've got more chairs and tables available. Mm-hmm. We've got two hours per day on the computers rather than just one. We've opened up on some additional computers as well, so we do have more to accommodate that available. line that may come up from there during this pandemic. You some behind the scenes kind of stuff here. When we were pandemics happened, we started quarantining books for a significant amount of time, and to prevent you all from being fined, we uh, expanded the grace period that we offer from one day to I think it was fourteen at one point. And over the course of the pandemic, it's it's shrunk down. But June first, we are moving. Back back to our one day so be aware that if you have a book out and it is due you need to turn it in renew it you can do that online you can do that over the phone you can do that in person but we don't want to find you I renewing mean, is easy is. and you can do you it can twice do this on your cell phone which means you could in theory have a item for nine weeks it's as long as no one else has a hold on it behind you exactly then you can renew it and you know popular items if it's brand new odds are there might be a, a hold placed on it so just be aware of it and generally when you check out if we see something that has a hold on it when it's going out i'm gonna tell you hey start with that book start with that movie because it's not going to renew. So you know we're up in advance, generally. Yeah, just I'm always excited when I'm like, no one has a hold on it yet. Check. I'm going to check it out for longer. So I think it's about time we... Close it up? Yes, ma'am. Thanks for joining us at BCPL Unstacked, and stay tuned for more episodes. Stay safe and read, my friend. It's good for you. Bye. Bye.